As I mentioned before, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 45. And what a neat chapter once again. All that heartache, all that pain, all those trials that he, Joseph, has gone through. And now we see some fruition for his labor, right? We see that this is coming out and it's coming about and good things are happening. So what a blessing on that. So we're going to read chapter 45. We're going to read the first eight verses or so. And uh, take special note of the first two because they're kind of hit the front side of the, uh, the, the point of redemption. Okay? So Joseph could stand it no longer. What could he stand? He was hiding. He was not revealing himself. He was putting his brothers to the test. Remember that from last week. And now we have um, some amazing things happening here. Joseph could stand it no longer. There was many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, out, all of you. So, so he was alone with his brothers when he told them who, it was, who he was, and then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians could hear him, and the word of it quickly carried to the Pharaoh's palace. Verse 3, I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said. So they came closer, and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me into this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives this famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive, to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. He is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace, and the governor of all Egypt. Praise God for his word. Wow. Here it is. We've been waiting for this moment for the last three weeks at least. Man, Shane, when are you going to get to the point? Uh, and this is the point. But the process is the point, right? The journey is many times the point when we get into uh, a sermon and a series of life happenings. And this is one of the things. But this is the point of redemptions. Is Joseph going to accept the brothers or the brothers going to accept Joseph? So in the process of redemption, it often takes a delicate hand and heart to bring about restoration. If you've ever been hurt by someone, if you've ever been hurt by someone close to you especially, um, one, I, I'm sorry for that, and two, how much harder is it for you to forgive them and restore the relationship from your end? It is really, really difficult to do. And that's exactly what Joseph is setting the example in. And that is what Christ does for us every single time we sin. So he's not asking anything that he hasn't done or that God in the, 
Jesus Christ has not done as well. And so he is setting that example, and then he is walking through this. He has had 20 years to mull over this in revenge and bitterness, or he has 20 years to mull over this in how can I redeem my brothers. When his brothers come, he is angry with them. He pushes them away to see how they react. He brings them close. He pushes them away again. He accuses them, uh, sets up Benjamin to take the silver cup. you, You must have stole it. It was in your sack. They fall on their knees in fact to save their father, to save Benjamin. And what are they going to do? Joseph realizes that their hearts have changed. And here he is revealing himself. And they are right back in the same place they were with the silver cup. Do you see that? So the silver cup scenario is happening from the bookends, right? From the very time they sold Joseph at the very beginning to the to the now, and now it's closing. How are they going to respond? How is Joseph responding? And Joseph goes over the top with his grief, with his mourning of the sin and the situation, but not in anger, not in bitterness. He has not allowed them to capture his heart. He is allowing the Lord to lead And this is important. I think we have a four-step process you can see up on the screen. Um, If you want to take notes in your bulletin, uh, I believe those are blank in the bulletin. It says that first Joseph gives us a great example on how to go about this restoration process. He confronts them when they're all alone. He confronts them when they're all alone. He sends everybody out of the room. He leaves just his brothers in there, and he does not embarrass them in front of a bunch of Egyptians. He does not bring in palace guards to take them to jail or to kill them on the spot for what they have done to him. No, he sends everybody out. He makes himself very vulnerable because they could have taken him. It's 12 to 1 odds, right? I'm pretty sure one of them probably would have got him. And he weeps in front of them, kind of, I would say, like a crazy man, right? You've seen him pull off to the side a couple of times, but don't think that's his character. I don't think that is an Egyptian's character. You don't show emotions at that time, and he is doing exactly that. So he confronts them. He's left alone with his brothers in the room. Wow. He says, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? And they are all there, slack-jawed. Oh my goodness. This is Joseph. I see it now. It's like, it's like the disciples when Jesus says, I'm going to go die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And they're like, I don't know what he's talking about. Well, see where your heart stops beating and you don't live anymore. I don't get it. What do you mean? Are we spiritually going to die together? Is that what you mean? Well, yes, but I'm also going to physically die. And then three days later, I'm going to rise again. Well, I get the being alive part, but I'm having a problem with the death, right? They don't get it. And I think this is part of God's revelation to the brothers as well. I think they say, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what's going on. And here's what we have is... I'm your brother. And right then, they recognize him. They are terrified 
They are in the presence of power and they have no authority. And that is much like us before our risen Savior, right? When we come to terms with Jesus Christ, we are in the presence of power with no authority. And he has a chance to either condemn us or redeem us. And when we surrender to him, he redeems us. Praise God for that. Second, he weeps with sorrow. He shows humility. He shows humility. Weeps with sorrow. He knows how they will react to this news. He knows that they are going to be terrified. He has compassion on them. So he shows his emotion that he is weeping with joy. He is weeping with um, everything he has. The Pharaoh found out about it. It make, makes you wonder. You're like, what's going on here? This is weird. This is strange. Go tell the Pharaoh what's going on with his number two. He is going crazy. And Pharaoh quickly I, starts to work that way because you see Pharaoh show up later on in the story, right? Number three, he reveals himself as Joseph. Now, he also, with that re- revelation to them, reminds them of what they have done, right? I'm the one you sold into slavery. Remember that? He says it once. He confronts their sin. And any time we have a redemption process, we have to define the sin that's being redeemed, right? Anytime we have the redemption process, we have to define the sin that's being redeemed. Because if we just say, Lord, you know, there's something between you and I, and I'm not really sure what it is. We know what it is. We know what it is. Right? And we need to get specific, I think, in our prayers. The more mature we are as Christians, as Christ followers, the more specific, I believe, we should get in our confessions. That doesn't mean that we have to be like, well, it was Tuesday at 5 o'clock. I mean, it's like, Lord, I sinned against you when I um, lied. I didn't sway the truth. I didn't give a white lie. I just lied. And I, Lord, ask that you would forgive me. And I gave my heart into that temptation. And I ask that you would allow me to speak truthfully in love uh, and not be selfish in going after just the things I want. So he confronts the sin. But then look at this. After he mentions that, he never mentions it again, and he gives credit where credit is due, doesn't he? He gives credit where credit is due. He gives credit to God. He said, God has led me down here. God deserves the praise. He had the foreknowledge of the drought. He has sent me ahead of you, not only to preserve our family, but all of Egypt and all of the known world. God has sent me ahead of you and your families to keep them alive and preserve many survivors. God sent me here, not you. God placed me in this high position. God has a purpose for each one of us, does he not? Yes, he does. And I see a ratio in this redemption process around four to one. You could probably make it a little higher case, but I think you could probably see 
maybe two instances where he um, brings up their sin and about seven to eight times that he mentions God in this passage. So we're still at about a four to one ratio. Joseph brings up once the unresolved sin. And that is important for the re- restoration redemption process because we ha- this is what the angst we have that we need to clear up, the sin we need to get off the table. But he brings up the Redeemer, which is God, four times at least for every time he brings it up once. The redemption, for redemption to occur, God must be in the center of it. And more specifically today, as we know, Jesus Christ must be in the center of it. Amen? So if God is in the center of what we have for each one of us, then our heart can be broken. Our heart can be softened and forgiveness can flow. Does that mean we can forgive them right away? No, it doesn't. Does that mean that we can start the process of forgiveness? What does, proce- what does the process of forgiveness look like for long-term suffering or deep hurt? When I've been hurt by somebody over a long period of time, it is really important for me, and I think for everyone, that bitterness is not allowed to set in. Okay? Bitterness sets in by stewing over the problem over and over and over. And I should have justice. I should have justice. And you might should have had justice, right? But I'm not going to dwell on the problem. I'm going to dwell on the solution. And so first off, I'm going to put myself in their shoes. That's called empathy. Right? I'm going to be empathetic to their situation. What, what did it look like from their side of the argument? What did it look like from their point of view that they needed to react like they did? Well, in Joseph's brother's case, they were saying that all of them were bypassed for the head of the household. And they went to the youngest in the family. You just don't do that in that culture. And it was a slap in the face by their father first. Probably why they didn't mind hurting their dad at first when they said that Joseph was hurt and that he went into mourning. But they didn't realize he wasn't ever going to come out of that. Because they were hurting, right? What do you know about hurt people? Hurt people hurt people, don't they? If you have somebody that's hurting, they're going to hurt somebody else. Not necessarily intentionally, but that's how it goes. It's just how it goes. So Joseph brings up their unresolved sin, and then he brings God into it four times. When God is working on my heart like he has worked on Joseph's heart, he melts my heart with his grace. Have I not done the same thing for you? Have I not turned my son over to death and the resurrection for you? Cannot you do the same thing and hand your pride over to me so that your heart will be soft when that situation comes? Wow. That's where I want to murmur. You know who murmurs in the Bible? It doesn't go well for them, by the way. If you read Exodus, the children of Israel, they murmur. And it does not go well. Every time they murmur... um, there's either snakes that come, half of them get smoted or, 
or somebody comes into their camp and, and wipes them out. And sometimes that's the spirit of the Lord. So don't murmur. So I can't do that. I can't grumble. That's what murmuring means, right? Um, grumbling, but it's under your breath and undertone that's just grumbling about people. And God has done something better for me. And I have entered into a covenant with God, right? What has God used to purchase my allegiance? His son, right? His son paid the price for my sin. Once I realize that, I give my allegiance to God. And so since I've given my allegiance to God, it's much, very similar to what we see here in this, that Joseph has, has had the wrongs against him, right? He is the one that's, that needs, would need the justice in the situation. And Joseph says... Yes, I have all the power. I have all the authority. What I'm going to do is I'm going to set that aside. I'm going to lower myself to the same level that you are on, and I'm going to reveal myself as Joseph, and I am not going to punish you for your sins against me. That's the same thing that Jesus does for me, the same thing that Joseph does for his brother, and guess what that's called? It's called a covenant. It's called a covenant. And Christ enters into a covenant with me to rescue me from my sin. Joseph, in a sense, is entering a covenant with his brothers. And over the next few chapters in Joseph's life, you'll see the brothers come back to him at least two more times to enter into this covenant. Reassure this. Reaffirm this covenant that you have changed. When dad dies, they go right to Joseph. They fall at his feet. Now you're going to kill us. We understand. We deserve it. And he says, no. No, that's not what's going to happen here. Matter of fact, um, I'm not even going to be the head of the household for too long. It's going to be Judah. Wow. Has God changed Joseph's heart or what? It's amazing. It's amazing. And he can do that for each one of us. Don't let that bitterness set in. And like the brothers, we are in need of that restoration. We are in need of that redemption. And God calls us back to him. If you, find, you can find this specifically in Romans. If you read the, through Romans, you'll see that there's a path. They call it the Romans Road. That's what we're going to talk about this morning a little bit here right now. It says... We have a debt that we cannot pay. It says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What are wages? Why do we get wages? What's that? You earned it, right? So you get wages when you do the job, when you do something that you, in a sense, earned the wage. We've earned death. Is death all bad? No. It's part of the process of getting us back right with God, right? The, the part of the process that is bad is sin, and sin leads to death. So it's part of the process of being bad, 
but it's also part of the redemption process that God has. So is it all bad? I'm not going to say no, it's not all bad, but it's, it's not good either. Death shouldn't have had ever come because God is a God of life. God is a God of always, he always chooses life. And death was only there because of our sin. And it breaks his heart, I believe. But there's hope, isn't there? Hope for these wages, because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's Romans 5, 6. And 5, 8 reads like this. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. What's that look like? God takes all his goodness in his son, Jesus Christ, and he takes all our evil. And Jesus says, I will handle the evil and I will give you the good that is a picture of grace. And he switches place with us on the cross, takes us off the cross, puts himself on there, dies for us in sacrifice for our sins, and he is worthy to be risen again. Praise God. Amen? I think we got that. I think most everybody in here understands what I'm talking about there. Some people that might be new. If that's new to you, I'd like to talk to you after the service. Because that is the way to go. But it has one more step. It's one more step in the Romans road. It's Romans 10, 9 to 10. It says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he's raised from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by, by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. That is part of the process of salvation, folks. Declaring that you are a Christian. If you were to go into your workplace today, if I were to go in there and ask, hey, do you know that Shane's a Christian? I would hope you guys would say yes. Uh, but what about you? What if I went to your ring of friends? Would they know that you are followers of Christ? That's part of the process right there, right? It says it right there. It's openly declaring that your faith, that you are saved. Does that mean I'm perfect? I've arrived. No, it does not mean that. But it means that I'm a broken person walking with the Lord to become more like him. So the question then is, when do we go? Because we're supposed to go. There's a commission to go. That's Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20. So there's this commission to go. There's permission to go. When do we go? And I would say, right after you, you go to Sunday school for 13 months, and then you have to go to Bible school for at least seven times and serve isn't that kind of ridiculous? No. No, you go right now. You go right now. But I don't know anything, Pastor. I know you don't know anything. Christ knows everything. He knows what he's done in your life, and he will work. With the confession of sin, the joy of the Lord comes a transformation that overflows into others that must be shared. What is God doing in your life right now that is transforming each one of us? 
There's something that we can go and share that God is working on right now. God is changing my heart right now for the better or I'm changing it for the worse. But my heart is changing. I want to be growing in him. And if I grow in him, then that means I'm putting off my old self and I can share that as my testimony right now. Right? We'll, we'll get into that next. Let's... Genesis 45, 9 through 15. Joseph says, Now hurry back to my father and tell him, This is your son, what your son Joseph says. God made me master over all the land of Egypt, so come down immediately. You can live in the region of Goshen, where you can be near me with all your children and grandchildren, your flocks and your herds, and everything you own. I will take care of you there. For there are still five years of famine ahead of us. Otherwise, you, your household, and all your animals will starve. Then Joseph added, Look, you can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that I really am Joseph. Go tell my father of my honored position here in Egypt. Describe for him everything you have seen, and then bring my father here quickly. Weeping with joy, he embraced Benjamin, and Benjamin did the same. Then Joseph kissed each one of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, they began talking freely with him. That's when the restoration happened for them. After that, after Joseph put in the hard work, then they were willing to come to them. So who's put in the hard work for us? Jesus Christ has, right? After that, we can come talk freely with him. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing that we can go into the presence of a king and talk to him like a friend, like a brother. That blows my mind away. And also, I've just noticed just right now that 9 through 11, obviously, Joseph has had this plan in the works longer than Oh, at least, at least the two trips, right? But he's probably had it a little bit in the back of his mind that he's got the land of Goshen picked out because they're both herdsmen. That's where their herds would be. Yeah, I can be close to you, but you won't be in the presence of Pharaoh so we can kind of keep our family separate so we don't intermarry amongst them. And there can be some amazing things that happen in this and what God has for us. So God has commissioned each one of us. He's commissioned he has commissioned Joseph here. So now that you have seen what I have done for you, now I want you to go and do for dad. Now that I have shown you that I have forgiven you, I want you to go and confess to dad and ask for forgiveness for the same redemption process to occur with our father. Make it right with dad. Confess. Go and tell him the joy that I am alive. The brothers were redeemed and they were sent out right away. He doesn't wait. He doesn't say, well, you need to come back in here. No, go home and go tell what has happened to you today. That you are a changed person. That Jesus Christ is working in your life and that you are going to be different. I'm not going to say name and claim it, but I'm going to definitely say name it. 
right? Name it. Jesus Christ is my hero. Am I going to fall again? Absolutely. I don't care. Jesus Christ is still my hero. Right? Now, they were redeemed and sent out. Notice, they don't go out until Joseph embraces them, kisses them, and sends them out. What is a grudge going to do for the brothers? It's not going to help them at all. So he doesn't send them out with a grudge. Does it honor God? Will it get Joseph any closer to his father if he holds a grudge? No. They'll probably hold their father from him. Oh, what would happen if we brought dad here? He wouldn't be able to handle it. We're not going to tell him. No. The only way, the only cards that he has got to play are humility. And he throws himself on the ground. He shows them with a strength of character that they didn't have, but he does. And he shows a chance, an opportunity to redeem them. So, Joseph lets it go, right? He lets it go. The many years, God has worked on his heart to soften him, to be ready for this moment. It's time for the brothers to follow suit, to follow his example. 20 years of angst, uh, both from opposite ends. And, but both still have a burden that's very deep. Joseph has risen above his burden. Very, I would say he have to do it pretty early on. Maybe in those times in prison, right? Am I going to choose to forgive my brothers? Or am I going to hold a grudge? And go make it right with dad. Restore dad to the father we once knew. Now it's to us. We must surrender. We must go. Live to be the hands and feet of Jesus. To share the love. Live to feed the hungry. Stand beside the broken. We must go. Just like we sang today, right? When do I get started? Well, pastor, I don't know anything. I don't know anything. What do you know? Well, I know that I was lost. And I found I was broken. Now I feel like I'm put back together. I was aimless without a purpose. And now I feel like I have a purpose for living. That I do know. Well, go tell that. Tell what you do know. That you're going to grow in what you know. This brings about our 22nd testimony. You thought I'd get away from that, didn't you? You're like, it's been almost six months. He hasn't mentioned it. That's right. I'm going to bring it up again. But think about it this way. I was listening to... Um, uh, Alistair Begg this week and he started the process and he said that one of his congregants comes up and he says I'm glad you're going to be t teaching about this next week because every time I lead with my testimony they say well that's great for you that's great for you because it's really hard to argue with your testimony but it is really easy to blow it off that it worked for you I don't know if it's going to work for me the problem is they don't realize, and sometimes we don't communicate very well, we're all in the same boat. If we were a high school musical, we'd say we're all in this together. We'd probably sing about it too, but I'm not going to right now. But I'm tempted, right? 
So we would start and say, the world is a dark place. It's broken, all of us. There is hints of this beauty and this wonder, but there's so much more to life that there's so much more to life than this, right? So it hints at that, but we don't see it all the time. It seems like it's getting worse and worse all the time. And I find myself wondering the same thing about me. I've come, I can be really ugly. I can be a broken person, but there's glimpses of joy that I get in my life. There's glimpses of peace, but I can't sustain it on my own. And then Jesus came into my life. Now I have a joy that sustains me through and through all the sorrow that I have. There's a peace in the chaos. And it was like I was blind, but now I see. Do you have a story like that? Do you see how that opens it up? Say, well, no, I don't, or yes, I do. I was four years old when I accepted Christ. I really committed to my life when I was my late teens, early 20s, God called me into the ministry. That's how I've gone. Well, praise God, we can do that together. Will you rejoice with me? Sounds like you got more experience than I do. Would you be willing to mentor me? Right? Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Flip it on the other side. No, I don't. Well, let me tell you a way that you can have a story just like that. There's this man named Jesus. Because when we confess our sins, the joy of the Lord comes, there comes a transformation that overflows into others and it must be shared. What is God doing in your life right now that is transforming you? Let's finish off this passage, 16 through 23. The news soon reached Pharaoh's palace. Joseph's brothers have arrived. Pharaoh and his officials were all delighted to hear this. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Tell your brothers this is what you must do. Load your pack animals and hurry to the land of Canaan, and then get your father and all of your families and return here to me. I will give you the very best land in Egypt, and you will eat from the best the best of that that the land has produces. Then the Pharaoh said to Joseph, Tell your brothers Take wagons from the land of Egypt and carry your little children and your wives and bring your father here. Don't worry about your personal belongings for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. So the sons of Jacob did as they were told and Joseph provided them with wagons and Pharaoh had commanded and he gave them supplies for the journey. He gave them each new clothes but to Benjamin he gave five changes of clothes and 300 pieces of silver. He also sent his father ten male donkeys loaded with the finest products of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other supplies he would need on his journey. We have transformation happening, folks, here. He sent them for their little children, their wives, and he gave them new clothes. What's the significance of new clothes in the Old Testament? You see it in Zechariah chapter 3. I'm pretty sure it might be chapter 4. But God gives them new clothes. He gives them white clothes. That it means that 
they're being reborn. They're new people. They have been transformed. They're never going back. What are they transformed with? They're transformed with words, and they're transformed with the wagons. Words and wagons. This is what uh, Colin Smith said, and I liked it, so I went with it too. Joseph's words. They had his testimony. They had what he said. He would say words that only his father Jacob would recognize because he's taught them to him. And they had the wagons to move their family. Joseph gave them words for their father. He set an example in forgiveness for the brothers to follow. Restoration starts with one party, folks. When you have a problem between two parties, restoration starts when the more mature side, most often, comes and asks for forgiveness. Sometimes it's not even your problem. It's their problem, and you ask for forgiveness. Because God has told you to. That's what Joseph does here. He comes in humility before his brother, confronts the sin, and he walks back and allows them to ask for forgiveness as well. Right? But he does his part. If we do our part, then God will join us in that, and hopefully they will join us in that restoration too. And wagons, Joseph provides a way back to him, just like Jesus provides a way back to him as well for us. He says to leave what you do not need. It's just going to weigh you down. It is a quick journey. Get back here as fast as you can. I have provisions. Look at all the stuff that I have on these 10 donkeys and these 10 donkeys. I have food and provision. Anything that you could ask for or think of, now you've got to bring it all back to me. I don't know why. He, I was like, what did you do that for? But that's all right. Um, it's a symbolism, right? It's to show that the land of Egypt is ready to receive you. We have a place. It is welcoming. And matter of fact, Jacob does not want to leave until he sees the wagons. And he says, wow, it must be true. Who else would send this to me? Who else would send this but my own son, whom I love? In him, I'm very well pleased. So look, I can provide for you along the way. Surely there's even more in Egypt. All you have to do is believe me and I can make it right. Verses 24 and 25 says, so Joseph sent his brothers off and they left. He called after them, don't quarrel along the way. I wonder if they were checking their sacks right then. I would have been. It's the third time. You ain't going to fool me thrice, right? Don't quarrel along the way. And they left Egypt and returned to their father Jacob in the land of, of Canaan. Restoration is continued. How is it continued? He is showing them how to go. Don't pla pass blame on each other. Simeon, I know I held you in prison for a long time, but remember, there was a purpose behind it. Don't hold a grudge. Don't hold it over your brothers. Reuben, I know you wanted to be number one. We all want to be number one, just like Daffy Duck, but you're not going to get that chance, right? We're not going to get that chance. God's given me that role for now, and I'm going to give it up eventually. Just like Christ did on the cross. He gave up that role in number one, and God gave it right back to him. Don't pass blame on one another. I have 
I have put the past behind me, so you should do the same. We should move forward. How are we going to communicate this to our Father and get right with Him? God is doing amazing things if you let Him. This is a great transformation point. If you are willing to take responsibility for the wrongdoings in sins, then God's going to restore you. Are you quick? Are you quickly? Are you quick to pass them on to others? Are you quick to say, "Oh, this is their fault. This is what they did. And if they wouldn't have done this, then I could have done this better." Accepting responsibilities for things that have hurt, that have gone to hurt others. Sorry, the speaker out there is throwing me off. I'm just finally now hearing it. So. Accepting responsibility for things that we've done to hurt others always shows a maturity in our faith. It shows strength in our character and surrender in our hearts. Right? It shows maturity in our faith when we can take responsibility for something that probably wasn't our fault. It shows strength in our character that we are willing to go with that. And it means that we're surrendered to the Lord in our hearts. So what is God doing in your life right now that is starting that transformation process? Let's finish off the chapter 26 and 28 through 28. It says, Joseph is still alive, they told Jacob. And he is governor over all the land of Egypt. Jacob was stunned at the news. He couldn't believe it. But when they repeated to Jacob everything that Joseph had told him, the words, and when he saw the wagons Joseph had sent to carry him, the father's spirit revived. He came out of the morning stupor. And Jacob exclaimed, It must be true. My son Joseph is alive. And my I must go and see him before I die. Jacob lasts quite a bit longer, actually, after this. Because I think an attitude of gratitude, an attitude of forgiveness and contentment goes a long way to a long life. Transformation happens. Jacob is transformed into the man of God that God has designed for him to be. Jacob sees the wagons and he believes. When others are going through trials and troubles and tribulations, we can be words and wagons to them on their spiritual journey. We have an opportunity to put salve on their wounds because we have the Lord Jesus Christ leading that way. Remember, as God works in and through you in that process of forgiveness, he is usually using that to transform so someone else can see that and they can there be transformed. So, after all, we are disciples. We're making disciples. We're making disciples ad infinitum. Right? We want to continue that process, folks, today. So remember, with the confession of sin and the joy of the Lord comes transformation that overflows into others, and it must be shared. 
It must be. We're commissioned to. So what is God doing in your life right now that is transforming you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the spirit that you have given us to continue to work on our lives. Lord, we thank you for the example that we have in Joseph in the transformation process of restoration. Lord, I pray that we would come before you as a holy God and um, know you in a mighty way. Open up our hearts so that we can work from the inside out through the Spirit of God and transform our lives into something that's amazing. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As we go through every part of this day, help us to love you and to love the people who cross our paths, starting with our families. Don't let us miss the adventures you are sending our ways to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw our hearts to you and to specific people you want us to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, and Spirit, transform White Rose Fellowship Church into followers of Jesus who love you, who love people, who make disciples, who make more disciples, ad infinitum. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.